1: Welcome to Allowed's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper, along with Cliffy D. Hey, Cliff. Happy post-draft. How are you,
2: buddy? I'm doing great. It's so, so good to get the draft out of the way because, God willing, that means we are just that much closer to actually getting some football played in, in this season. After, very possible. After, yep. I, I mean, that, that, that's the thing. The draft to me has always been that. It's sort of the... The unofficial kickoff, if you will, to the CFL season. Because that way you knew that, okay, you got guys that are being drafted. And then a couple weeks later, the rookie camp starts. And then the actual training camp gets underway. And then that just means football is back. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping, even though like they've been talking about the fact that there may not be football played till possibly August. Just the fact that they've had the draft this year. They've selected some players. And... You know, it's it almost feels like things are starting to slowly get back into sort like start, start to get back into the swing of things a little bit. At least I'm hoping that's the case. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Let's let's hope and pray that this is actually going to happen. That we actually just just might get some football in 2021.
1: It's very possible. We're you know since we did the last show, we're still waiting to find out, um, you know what the new schedule is going to look like. I know the Alouettes have teased it in some of their. Um you know some of their their mail outs and emails and stuff like that and uh we're just curious to know what you know what opponents we're gonna be facing come uh you know the the twenty twenty one season whenever it does start um i, I think another thing too which is a, a positive sign is that the alouettes uh in uh collaboration with the the boutique warehouse is that they are getting out the uh, I will say the 2020 slash 2021 season ticket members gift. Um, so those are now available. And if you've been checking on social media for myself, you can... And if you haven't gotten your email, we'll check it. Um, but there are multiple ways where you can actually go and get it. And today was the first day, Cliff, where you can actually go by. And I, I, I went there, met the new general manager, uh, uh, Joni, um, and it was, was picked it up. I'm wearing it now. And... Um, you know, it's uh, to me, it's another sign. Very another possible another sign that we are that close to possibly getting into uh, getting into uh, the the regular season and getting some football training camp. And fingers crossed, right?
2: God willing, that's that's how we got to look at it. You got to find the positives no matter what. And I sincerely hope that. Again, these are just maybe small signs, but I mean, you gotta you gotta take it for what it's worth, and just hopefully, like you know, with the draft, with uh, the season ticket holder swag being given out now, like I mean, just now we're getting just a little bit, little bit closer to maybe seeing some CFL football play, being played this year. Yeah, I, I I hope so. I really truly hope so.
1: Um, to, we talked about it, you know, at the beginning of the, a little bit about the draft. I know we're going to talk about what Cliff thought of the draft, but also we were able to get the Iowa West director of football operations, Eric DeLaurier on with us. And we'll be speaking here, to him in a little bit, a uh, little bit about the, about the draft itself. What the, uh, sort of the behind the scenes stuff with the draft and, and a little bit about his career. Um, but that's coming up very shortly. Um, but it's, you know, other than a couple of which i think is another good sign is that the alowitz have have partnered with some other companies for sponsorships for this year uh, we're actually i think are we what what was the one today are we actually going to be able to have hard is it hard lemonade in stadium this year I'm, I'm looking for it now i can't remember what it was but um is it hard lemonade
2: uh spirits actually is it that, that was my understanding of it was it's uh, a spirits company uh well, actually, I guess if uh, you can, well, it's hard seltzer or, or hard oh, yeah, iced yeah. tea, I guess.
1: That's it. Yeah. Twisted tea. The company behind Twisted Tea, Hard iced Tea, and Truly Hard Seltzer. Yeah. That, that is, that that was, I think, announced today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, we also, oh, it, oh, that's right. It was with another distillery. It was with, with is it Nori or Norwa? I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'm guessing it would be Norwa.
2: I think it's Norwa. Yeah.
1: Um, but they're also a, uh, a, a St. Hyacinth, uh, based distillery. So, hey, I keeping could,
2: it local. That's, that's what it is, right? Support hey, local.
1: Well, we get to get our drink on, man. be able to get our drink on. So, but besides that, I think has it hasn't been has it, not much news besides the, the draft, I think, if I'm not mistaken, but I uh, know that's, that's really why we're here to talk about it.
2: Well, I mean, there's also been talk about, uh, like, originally during the draft broadcast on TSN, uh, Dave Naylor had mentioned that, uh, per his sources, that the uh, all, all all the provincial governments were set to sign off on the return to play initiative that was put together by the Canadian Football League and the CFLPA. Right. However, uh, turns out that that may have been a little premature because uh, apparently, according to uh, BC and uh, Ontario governments, uh, they're not quite ready to do that just yet. Not ready quite 100% to sign off on it just yet from uh, what we've been understanding. So there seems to be a little bit of conflicting report there. So hopefully we'll get some clarity on that soon because uh, it would be nice if, uh, well, you think about it, like the BC Lions is going to BC obviously but uh, the government on Ontario I mean that's three of the nine CFL teams right there so I mean 33% of the league if the, the province were 33% of the league if they're not willing to sign off on it we're gonna have a big problem as far as trying to get uh, the players and the coaches and everything back on the field so here's hoping that maybe there's just some uh, you know like. Keys to be crossed and eyes to be dotted. I'm hoping it's something along those lines, as opposed to just a flat out "no, this is not happening" kind of thing.
1: What What about Quebec? I mean, we haven't heard anything official about Quebec yet, have we?
2: We haven't heard anything official. We haven't heard a, a yay or a nay. But uh, yeah, uh, so I'm i I'm, I'm I'm of the opinion that no news is good news, and that's kind of how I'm taking it for now. But mm-hmm. uh, no, we haven't seen anything officially from the government of Quebec saying yes, this is a go, or no, it's not.
1: Right. Right. Okay.
2: I guess we We also we may also may have to consider, though, like if God forbid these all these governments basically say, no, not happening, we're not signing off on this. Now we go back to the drawing board and we may have to once again look at the possibility of a hub city for all nine CFL teams.
1: Which has that gone around the. the That
2: has I think that has been discussed. And I think that is something that could very well become a possibility. I mean, I think the ultimate goal is still. One thing they've been saying from day one is we want to have fans in the stands. We want to be able to play at our stadiums in front of our fans, even yeah. if it's just a you know, a portion of the fans, but they still want to be able to have fans in the stands. That's right now the key element. But as these things are happening, especially as the third or fourth waves are coming of COVID-19, you now really have to take a look at things. And is this something that is feasible, being able to have fans come to the, the football stadiums and watch the teams participate? And... If, if provincial governments aren't going to sign off on it, then that's really going to put a damper on things. Like, will the CFL go ahead and just they're going to have to play regardless, as far as yeah. I'm concerned? Like, you got to stay relevant, you got to stay, you, you can't not play football this year. That's the way I look at it. That's the long and short of it. Oh,
1: same here. And, you know, I was I was lucky enough to hear some. We're talking about fans in the stands and stuff like that. I was actually lucky to hear that. Um, it, it seems to be that the number that is wanted of fans in the stands looks to be at 25%. And that seems to be across the board for the CFL. Mm -hmm. But the information that was told to me today, it will be uh, 25% at Percival Molson. uh, And that's at 6,000. That's including all seats at Percival Molson. So if you take off the tarps, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that'll be about 6,000 fans in the stands, at least to start. Yeah.
2: So... And again, things can change too, especially as more and more people are being vaccinated, as uh, you know, as number of cases go down. There's all there's there's still a lot of moving parts here, folks. And like I said, as as long as we're doing our part, you know, and staying safe and staying healthy and all that, then a lot could change. It's just a matter now of, like I said, as it stands right now, there's at least two provinces that are kind of iffy on the whole return to play thing for the Canadian football league. Or at least that's how it's it's coming across. And yeah. Like I said, maybe it's just a matter of getting a little bit more information or just, you know, trying to figure things out a little bit more. It, it's so hard to say it's I, I just hope that something can happen, though, and they figure something out, whether it it's done pro- on a provincial level or they just finally decide now we're going to have to do a hub city. And that's just how it's going to have to be for 2021, just for the simple matter of just getting the players back and playing football like they're supposed to be.
1: And it seems that at least most uh, that we know of and what we're seeing, and I think we've talked about it before, is that a lot of these players have, have been fully vaccinated anyway. So mm-hmm. that's a plus. That's a plus in itself. So um, I, I guess we're going to, again, watch it be the day after we tape this. The CFL and the it's CFL announces the 14-game schedules. <laughs> watch it happen.
2: Well, it would not be the first time that we get trumped by uh... – by the league for news as far as, uh, as we put a podcast out, uh, something major happens. Yeah, exactly. Right.
1: Um, what do you want to do? You want to talk, let's, you know, let's talk about your, what you thought about the draft itself. Then we'll get, uh, Eric on the line when we'll talk to him and, um, about the, about their experience through the eyes of the Alouettes organization. Uh, but, uh, then we'll, we'll go from there. But what, what were mm-hmm. your, what were your thoughts on, on the draft? Because for me, um, First, the the only thing that really stood out to me was the term. Um, it was basically basically a futures draft. That's the term that I kept hearing over and over and over again. And obviously, it's the unique situation that we're in this year, where a lot of the Canadians, especially that are in youth sport, you know, they really didn't they didn't play. Mm-hmm. So it was it was basically uh, most of it. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, were one, ones that played in the U.S. et cetera. What what were your thoughts on the draft overall itself? I mean, other than TSN lim- limiting it to how they did, and then I'm sorry I have to say, but I mean, I think Three Down Nation actually, uh, uh, they hit a home run when it came to their coverage in um, taking it, you know, picking up that fumbled ball from TSN and going with it for the rest of the draft. But uh, what, what mm-hmm. were your thoughts?
2: Oh, without question. They, uh, uh, you definitely got to give props to Three Foundation for the way they did, handled the post-TSN coverage, we'll call it. Uh, I think they did an absolutely great job just sort of breaking down players, announcing the players as they were drafted and then doing, a, I think, a fairly good job of breaking players down as far as you know, strengths, weaknesses, all the stuff that you come to expect from a draft show. I mean, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it was extremely well done. As far as my thoughts on the CFL draft, especially for the Montreal Alouettes, uh, I, I discussed it in the alternative, and I actually, I'm kind of proud actually because uh, of the five players that were selected, two were featured in my draft preview. So uh, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll pat myself on the back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're absolutely right when it comes to this being very much a futures draft. Like I really feel that the Alouettes are in a position of strength as far as their roster goes, and I think a lot of the draft picks that they made. Is looking two, three years down the line. Like, yeah. for example, like the the first pick that they made was Pierre Olivier Lestage from the University de Montreal. Now he's already signed with the Seattle Seahawks, and he's gonna he's definitely going to explore every NFL option because he was extremely highly touted as far as uh, as a potential pick goes. So, if for whatever reason it doesn't work out in Seattle, there's a very good opportunity for him to appear for another team. I think. I think he's going to like most players before him. He's going to exhaust every NFL option. I I just think that's the kind of player he is, and he's a beast. Like Mm -hmm. The guy is definitely a stud player, and he's going to do everything he can to secure an NFL contract. Why wouldn't you? But with that in mind, if all the NFL options are exhausted, at least he knows he can come back to Montreal, where he's from, and he could be a part of this team. And he'll become a big part of this team as well, because tackle and guard— are always a valuable position when it comes to the offensive line. And especially too here in Montreal, you we've got some real studs on this offensive line guys that can play and have been playing for quite some time and will contribute immediately to this team. And if like, again, it's not going to happen in 2021. I'm fairly confident of that, but let's say next year or even a year after this, he's still going to be a young man. He's still in his his early twenties, I believe Lestage. And if he can go and get that NFL experience, get a chance to play some games, come back to the CFL, and bring that right away, and still being young, still very much in his prime, or even before his prime, as far as his playing career goes, and he can contribute right away to this Alouettes team in like 23, 2023 and beyond, that's huge. And that's the kind, That's why you make that pick at number 10. I mean, at first you want to say, like, oh my God, the Elowitz just threw away their pick on a guy who's not going to even be in the league for the next couple of years. You gotta think long term, folks. And that's what the outlets have done here is especially with a few of their picks, is they've thought long term. Like they're okay, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the offensive line. They've got some guys that are able to play right away. So now you can you can play with house money a little bit here. You can go ahead and think two, three, four years down the road as far as your draft picks go and say, you know what, we may not have him now. Give him a couple of years. He could very well be a star here in Montreal and I love that strategy. I love the idea that we're in a position of strength as far as being able to look at our roster and say, "Okay, this team is loaded at this position. This team is very well equipped at that position." So let's have some fun. Let's let's take a look at a guy here that I think could be a superstar in this league and beyond in the next couple of years. Yeah. Let's take a flyer on him. Let's let's reserve him. Let's keep him. Let's keep his rights, essentially. And that's really what this is coming down to. It's almost like, negot- like a, a part of the negotiation list, if you will, without taking up spots on the actual negotiation list. Right. Is You draft these guys right now, knowing full well that you don't have them right away. But down the line, these are players that can be stars, superstars even, for the Montreal Alouettes. And it, it looks weird now, but two, three years down the road... These could be some very shrewd moves, and I think that's what the Aloets and Danny Machocha are banking on: is that these are not moves that will pay off right away. But like like in the stock market, you you, you buy into the futures and you invest and you let you let it sit and grow. And then the next few years, you're going to cash in on the dividends.
1: Yeah, and I think with what people look at, uh, you can't really you can't really look at the CFL draft. And it's, you know, other pro counterpart with the NFL draft because they're not the same. You know, it's 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 as we've seen before and as we're talking about now is that the CFL draft usually is a futures draft. It really is Mm -hmm. because of the, you know, situation with some of these players and if they've been, if they're getting a look from other NFL teams, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, I mean, local guys, you know, it's potential that a lot of the local guys will stay unless they're really highly touted, which some of the Alouette's players were, but. Uh, that were drafted, but hey, it's something that we have to get used to. Not, I guess, not all drafts are created equally.
2: <laughs> they're really not. And also, let's not forget too, the guys that were drafted last year never got a they never got a training camp. They never got an opportunity to prove that they belong in the CFL as well. Yeah. So they're going to be coming in extra hungry as well. Now you pair the 2020 guys with a couple. If let's say two of the five 2021 draft picks comes to camp and they get a chance to compete and same idea is they'll come up, they'll get the experience. They'd have to play lights out football, quite frankly, to make the team. I think the the team is just loaded right now with so much talent that it's almost easy to get lost in the shuffle yeah, no unless can. you're having it. Like it's just a phenomenal camp. Like you'd have to like just be blowing the doors off everybody to even be considered at that point. If you're a, a 2021 draft pick, yeah. but you know, you come in, you get the experience, you get the reps of being in an actual training camp. You get to be around the team and get that, get a taste for that professional football atmosphere and if you've got eligibility and you can go back to school for one more year you go back to school with that attitude you go back and hopefully U sports if it's U sports or that they're that these graphics uh, are coming from if they get a chance to get on the field as well this year which also too they've been talking about as well is trying to have at least a six game schedule at least for Canada West I don't know if the RESQ and the OUA and AS, AUS I don't know if they're operating under that same hope if you will mm-hmm. If so, then, I mean, six games is better than nothing. At least you can go back and you can still help build your build your resume, if you will. At least get some honest-to-goodness reps. Yeah. And you can always say that you've got that in your back pocket, is knowing that, yes, you were at Montreal Alouettes' camp, and you're going to go back and kill your last year and just help develop and build that legend that you've you sort of built for yourself already. To me, that's, that's going to be key more than anything else. But I think... When it comes to the 2020 players that were drafted last year, the ones that didn't get an opportunity to go to a camp, those are the guys I'm going to be looking for more than anything else. Whereas the 2021 draft picks, a couple of them may come up here or they all just may decide, you know what, I'll, I'll go back to school. I'll see how further I can go. And maybe two, they may still end up in the NFL. They If they weren't drafted in the NFL draft, some of them actually still have the eligibility, could still be drafted. Mm-hmm. And you're back in the same sort of situation of, Okay, well, these guys aren't available to us now or even next year, but they are still our property. They still are. We still retain their rights. And if they go out and they kill it and they do develop into, you know, strong NFL players, or they at least go, they get the experience, they get the reps they need, and then they come to the CFL, that much more in tune and ready to go. I mean, to me, it, it's about playing the long game, and that's really what the CFL draft is more than anything else is playing that long game. And you may not see those dividends I was talking about for the next four or five years. But once you see them and once everything works and knowing that you've got all this talent sort of in line and ready to go, I mean, that's exciting. That's that's what makes it exciting for me more than anything else.
1: Yeah, it's, and it'll be interesting to see. I said it's the names that are currently that you saw. When will they be with the Alouettes? Um, But I guess it was like a double edged sword this year. We we didn't see any of the 2020 class at all. So if and when we get to training camp, it'll be interesting to see what the roster looks like at that time. So it's
2: yeah. it's going to be massive. <laughs> That's oh, one, for, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. So we'll see. Don't forget, like, in addition to all these draft picks, like, the Alouettes have been busy in free agency. They've been adding players. Uh, I mean, like, not to mention, in addition to the players that were already here before, I mean, it's... I mean it's going to be huge. I mean sh- 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 shoot. I hope there's enough locker room stalls for everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Especially if they do especially if they do practice over at uh, at Personal Molson. That would be cool if they had well, camp over Personal Molson again. Um I, I think so.
2: I, I don't see why not. I mean, realistically, like you want to get fans excited. You want to get them to, like and that's where they know. They know where Personal Molson Stadium is. Like you know, like having having camp out in uh, Lennoxville and Sherbrooke and uh that it was it was good for what it was, but I think especially nowadays too, like, I mean, especially with travel being what it is, <laughs> I don't know how, how many people are actually up for a road trip anymore, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely think if they're if going to do a training camp, it more likely will still be at personal Bolson stadium. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Um. You know what? Since we had heard what you thought, um, uh, we'll get your, 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 I guess your, your final thoughts on what you think. And then on, on the draft, about the players that we drafted, and then we'll 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 bring uh, Eric in and we'll, and we'll talk to him. What so right. uh going over uh, anything that stands out to you specifically, where that had been, how it was done, the drafts. Uh, you know, I, I think for me, I guess the one one thing that I can I'm happy to say is that in 2022, unless it's traded away, the Alouettes will have a first round draft pick.
2: That's pretty exciting. I, I mean, it's 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 so good to know that we can finally close that chapter of not having a first-round draft pick yeah, uh, for that trade that we will not mention. But, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's in the past. I mean, you know, it is what it is. And even then, even despite not having two first-round picks the last two years, I still think Montreal managed to draft some very talented football players. Yes, a lot of them are born and bred in Quebec because you know what, folks? Quebec does produce some very good football players. Yeah. So you should actually be excited. Like It's easy to complain about, oh my god, how come you only drafted players from Quebec? Well, you know what? You draft who's available. You draft the players that you know are going to fit in your organization. And so what? regardless of the language they speak, at the end of the day, look at the talent. And believe me, the players that have been drafted the past two years, there is a lot, a lot of talent here. And there's a lot to like. And just the fact that, it's, to me, it's just a bonus. Like, oh, these guys are from Quebec. We can market these guys as... Quebec-born, Quebec-bred players, players that have been in the system and know what it takes to succeed in this province, so much the better. That's, that's, that's how I look at it. That's And quite frankly, that's how everybody should be looking at it. I mean, yeah, yeah it's always exciting. To, you know, you want to know that you're getting the best players available. And if it happens to be a player elsewhere, that's great too. But the fact that the Alouettes were able to select players that were born bred and grew up and played their football here in Quebec. It's it's almost like a feel-good story, if you will. And I'm pretty excited about it. Like I said, a couple of the players that I've seen so far... And again, I'm talking about looking at two-year-old film when I see these players. I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely want this guy on my team. And lo and behold, a couple of them are there. And there's even a couple of players that were selected that are like, I completely forgot about just because... Well, one, because we didn't see them play football last year in at the uh, U Sports level. But seeing their film... Even if it's two years old and you see the potential that's there, like, oh, my gosh, if this guy gets a chance to get on a field in 2021, I think this guy's going to make a lot of noise. And uh, to me, like, that that's what's key is giving these guys an opportunity, giving them a chance to go out there and show what they can do. Because it's one thing to look at, you know, all, all the highlights are, are there on YouTube, and you can take a look at it, and that's great. But to actually see real, true reps in a training camp atmosphere with <laughs> pro- other professional players – To me, that's what separates the men from the boys. And I think there's a lot of guys here that, given the opportunity, are going to make a lot of noise here in the the Canadian Football League and here in Montreal as well. So that's what I'm excited about. That's the kind of thing that I'm looking forward to if and when training camp gets underway.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, As I said, we're lucky enough to have uh, uh, the director of uh, football ops with with us uh, on this week's episode, so uh, let's uh, let's bring him on and uh, uh, let's uh, let's chat to him, chat with him about the about the draft. Well, on the line with us now is a gentleman who will be able to tell us quite a bit about the Alouettes and our most recent uh, draft. Uh, but also, uh, we're curious to know about a couple of other things and what he has to do in day to day operations and whatnot. Uh, with us now is the director of football operations with the Alouettes, Mr. Eric Laurier. Hey, Eric, thanks for joining us.
0: Uh, thanks for having me, guys.
1: So I had a couple of questions for, you. I mean, we've met before. I mean, it's, uh, we met uh, the locker at the locker room sale. Oh, so many years ago. It seems to be oh, so many years ago. Um, but what I wanted to know and maybe what fans may not know about is that how, for your position, how difficult is it from whether a player is initially put on a neg list or the, the first time that you have tape of a particular player, to actually getting him signed by the Montreal Alouettes, is it a is it a, a long and lengthy process, or is it a little bit shorter than what fans may actually may not what they may know about?
0: Well, I I'll have to start by saying it's different for everybody, right? So um, players, uh, for the people that don't know, the each CFL team has forty five names uh, dedicated to a neglist kind of like a draft for us for the American players. Mm-hmm. Um, each team has different allocations as far as positions, players for future. Uh, Most teams have several quarterbacks on there. Um, But all in all, it depends on the guy, depends on how you spotted that guy, depends on if you saw him at an NFL camp, if you saw him uh, at a free agent camp. Um, So I I think it's different for everybody. Uh, But the the majority of the guys probably stay on a neg list for – uh, a, a few months, maybe six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then some guys are put on a necklace just to make sure that we protect their rights and make sure other teams don't get them. And um, they, we do hold their rights so the player can call uh, our, our bluff and ask for a contract. And if that's not given within a certain amount of time, then um, we're forced to take him off the necklace. All right. So um, it, it's an interesting process, but uh, one that uh, is definitely in the favor for us.
1: When it comes to player uh, having your your contacts within other leagues, you know whether it be indoor leagues or other other green iron leagues um how often is it that you you get you know you get a, a notification from one of your sources and you say hey listen this this guy is good we we think you should take a look at him How often do you actually receive film on a particular player and then the Alawitz uh decide to put them on one you know either sign them right away or put them on one of your on one of your lists
0: well i think again it depends on who right because sometimes we get some uh nfl scouts or people saying you know what he's on the bubble he's on the verge of getting released right um that might spark our interest a little bit higher than um a player that's sending us his film where we we all watch the film and evaluate mm-hmm. talk about him um and then next thing you know he ends up on the ne- negotiation list after everybody looks at him and deems him uh a-, a player of interest a player that can compete and a player that ultimately can uh battle for a roster spot or make our team better
1: right right and obviously we're, we're, we're not well, obviously i'm sure you have some you know what we're not trying to get give you give and we're not trying to get you to give us all of the secrets that maybe what you know what you may want to do to in order to get x player before the other team does but <laughs> As an example, and then I'll let Cliff ask you about uh, the draft. Um, when we look at a player similar to like Malachi Jones, he was a huge name not only in the Arena League but also did well in the uh, in the Alliance. Also, for a player like him, did he follow the, the normal procedures as a player to be signed by the Alouettes, or was it was he one of those players that was just special? And you said we need to have him on our roster.
0: Um, well, in Malachi's case, you know, I, I think that he speaks for himself with his film, with what he brought to those leagues, uh, winning uh, multiple uh, MVPs, co-MVPs mm-hmm. uh, of the leagues that he played in. Um, you know, he has uh, obviously a, a great framework and uh, brings some size to his game along with great hands. So um, I, I think he was a no brainer for that. And uh, I, I think he's going to be in uh, uh, great uh, competition level because I think that uh, everybody's going to be very impressed with uh, the amount of competition that we will bring to camp mm-hmm. as far as uh, every position. So I'm really excited to get back on the field and see this uh, transpire here.
1: And last question, uh, what's the most so far in the position that you've been in, uh, Eric? What's the most unique way that you've signed, seen and then signed a player? <laughs> I'm just curious.
0: Um, well, I think the most for me, Martez Jackson, the the kick returner, punt returner that played in Montreal, played um, a, a few years in Edmonton. Uh, now I believe he's a free agent, but a player that uh, came to a free agent tryout mm-hmm. uh, literally timed him at like a four three nine, and I was like, what the heck? Like, is this guy for real? Uh, we made him run again. He ran like a four four something. And then we were just like, okay, well, this guy, we definitely have to look into a little bit more. Uh, obviously not only because of his speed, but because of his catching ability, his quickness, his feet. And, um, uh, you know, a player that had a pretty good career from a free agent camp. So, yeah. we, you know, it, 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 it comes a, a long way from a guy that thought maybe he was just coming out to work out for a team, put on a show, and next thing you know, he's in camp. Next thing you know, he's on the field. And I think he played for three or four years. So um, I, I think that was probably the uh, most uh, bizarre, okay. I guess, you know, because it doesn't happen every day that you get players out of these free agent camps, but right. uh, at the end of the day, he was one of them.
1: Okay. You actually just had to answer my next question. So uh, Cliff, go ahead. All
0: right. Well,
2: let's get into the draft now. Uh, you've been a part of the draft process, uh, Eric, for the past couple of years with the Alouettes, as far as uh, contributing your thoughts, working as national scout and all that. Can uh, you take us a little bit into the thought process as far as selecting players versus need as opposed to b- best player available? Like, What's been the strategy, in your opinion, as far as how the outlets have gone over the past couple of years?
0: Well, I think uh, everybody has their own mentality. Um, you know, I, I think that there has to be a little bit of both. When we draft our board and the actual board for the draft, I think you have to put them by best player available. So the best players are on top. Uh, You know, we had uh, the the four guys drafted this year. Those guys were obviously top of our board um, as potential guys for futures. But, you know, when guys get signed third, fourth round, uh, it's very unlikely that we're going to see those guys for at least two, three years, maybe even more in some cases. So um, I think it's definitely uh, a case-by-case, team-by-team situation Um, but I will say that if teams have a glaring need, then they might be willing to reach on a player to potentially fill that spot instead of going to get the best player available. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's something like I already said is it it, it is a case by case, a year by year thing. Um, this year we were a little bit spoiled as far as having, um, already having two draft classes coming to camp, plus having this year's draft. So we're going to have a lot of non-counters, a lot of guys that haven't played in the CFL yet. Um, So maybe teams were a little bit looser as far as getting potential guys for the future as far as guys returning to school. Um, And as you guys well know, and maybe some others don't, but a lot of the NCAA players that were in the draft this year are actually going back to school. So they were potentially drafted, uh, but they are returning to school. so we won't see those guys for another year. Um, so it's a little bit different. We have one of those, right? Uh, one of those guys with 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 Patrick Davis, who's returning to Syracuse, and uh, we won't see him for at least a year, and who knows what his future holds with the NFL. So he was a guy that we we pro- projected and deemed as a future pick. Um, and then obviously our first pick overall, uh, or 10th for us, 10th pick in the draft first for us in the second round, uh, had already signed a contract in an NFL team. So, you know, we, we kind of deemed him a guy, uh, de stage as a guy that is potentially going to play in the NFL, hopefully for him. And, uh, we thought that maybe we can wait on him. We had him high on our board anyways. So, uh, we took a chance and, uh, Hopefully we see him soon. But at the end of the day, I, I truly hope that he does well and sticks uh, in the NFL.
2: Now, uh, speaking of Lestage, uh, obviously he went 10th. T- t- the first chance you had to get him, you went, a- you went ahead and did it. Do you think that there was other potential suitors for his services? Even even though they knowing full well that he did sign a contract with the Seattle Seahawks, do you think that there are other teams that were potentially interested in him as well and you felt like you had to snap him up right away to make sure that you got him?
0: I, I definitely think that. I think there is no team in the CFL that had Paola Staj ranked any lower than third, fourth, maybe fifth O lineman. But um, I, I would, I, I don't know. I, I can't speak for other teams, but we definitely had him high. Uh, the tenacity he brings, the uh, athleticism, versatility, um, and just checking all those boxes and being able to be a a center guard and tackle. Um, He's definitely a guy that we wanted to snag off the board. If he did not sign uh, his NFL contract, I'm sure he would have been already off the board. Hmm. All
2: right. And now you know this is coming, but uh, especially now with uh, ever since uh, Danny Machocha came in as general manager, it seems like the emphasis now is to make sure that, the Alouettes have as many Quebec-born or francophone players as much as possible. And the last two drafts, first last year's draft, fifty percent of the draft was players that either played in the RESQ or were born in Quebec. And this year, everybody either played in the RESQ or is of of a francophone nature. Do you is is it more about? trying to really truly establish Quebec's uh, like, uh, like establish Quebec as the dominant football province or is it just trying to fill the L O S with as many Quebec born players as possible
0: well i'm glad you say that and i'm glad uh, that people view it that way you know i'm i'm, I'm i think uh, i look back and see in my years and we had three or four uh, at the most maybe six or seven francophone players um, and this is just a virtue to Quebec football and the uh, The the grassroots and uh, the coaching in Quebec is getting better. Um, You know, if we look back at the, the Vanier Cups that have been played, how many times have Quebec teams been in there? You know, I'm not a statistician, but, you know, in reality, there's a lot of good players in the RSEQ. So I think it's really a virtue of a lot of good players coming out of Quebec. I think we're proud to have a lot of Quebecers. Uh, But first and foremost, we're, we're drafting football players. So it doesn't matter if you speak French, English, Spanish. um, If you can play football, that's the first order of business. Um, I think at at talent equal, then maybe that comes into play a little bit more, Um, you know, and I know this sounds a little bit political, but at the end of the day, it's the truth. And we're, we're, we're drafting players that uh, have the abilities first and then, uh, they happen to be uh, Quebec-born players. And, you know, like Byron Archambault and Danny Machocha know these players. They, they've they been with them and uh, saw them grow up and uh, recruited them. So, um, you know, wh- why not take that uh, ability to use that as uh, a-, a draft or a-, a way to use those guys wisely and know those players a little bit better than most, maybe? Mm.
2: Now, uh, with the pandemic happening, of course, you don't get the combines that we had in years previous. Uh, You're pretty much relying on film, some of it even being two years old, as far as trying to evaluate players in that. I think a lot of teams kind of went with that same strategy that Montreal did, is to kind of stay close to home as far as draft picks go. Do you think that the pandemic really, truly made a difference as far as being able to scout properly and properly assess who is available as far as uh, the draft goes?
0: Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that it was more difficult. Um, Anytime you think of a draft, you think of the Combines, you think of watching film, you think of being a football detective and trying to uh, understand who that player is on and off the field. So how he's going to fit into your locker room, his injury history, all this information that usually you would have right in front of you is maybe a little bit harder to dig up. Now you have to call a lot of people. You have to go back and watch film from two years past. Um, you know, I, I definitely think this was a little bit tougher. And I also think that this is maybe the reason that there was uh, only a few free agent signings as Canadians because some of these Canadian players that didn't play maybe by the NFL teams were looked at as a little bit lesser because they didn't play for a year, whereas the NCAA most of the divisions played. Um, but it, it's it's always a difficult process, but I think in this case, it was even more difficult. Not only last year, um, only having uh, the film from the year prior without a combine, but this year, now two years without playing and no combine again. So it was definitely a challenge, but um, obviously everybody has the same uh, playing field and everybody was under the same boat. So it's just trying to figure out those with a fine-tooth comb and trying to figure out who those guys are that you want uh, to compete on your team.
2: All right. See, that's that's fair. I mean, that's, that's definitely a great way to look at it as far as talent evaluation goes. I, I mean, it's definitely not easy, especially when, as you said, no combine, uh, you're relying on old film, mm-hmm. so to speak, and it's you know these guys can play, or at least they were able to play two years ago, but are they still able to play now? Like, it's a very tough evaluation.
0: Yeah. Well, I have another example for you is that you know, usually when we go to the combine, we talk to these guys for 15 minutes and it's timed and we're rolling through the guys. Whereas now in this process, we did zoom interviews uh, with 40, 50 guys and we got to spend 30, 45 minutes with some of these guys. So we actually got to know them. I felt a little bit better in this sense. So, you know, there's, there's pros, there's cons, obviously more cons than pros, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to do what you can, uh, with what you're given. And, uh, just try to make the best educated guess, and uh, time will tell how these players uh, develop on the cfl field
1: uh, actually I want to bring up a question to something you just mentioned there eric you've talk about i like, 've heard about these interviews and stuff like that that uh, that are done what for the fans who don 't know what what I mean, are, they, are these essentially an interview, or are you what are you looking from a player when you are speaking to them, whether it be for, as you said, in person for fifteen minutes, or just this past year for, for the longer longer talks?
0: Well, it's clearly a job interview. You know, some of these guys come prepared, you you see right away the guys that are there ten minutes early; they're mm-hmm. wearing a suit and tie, they're bringing their business attire, they're ready to go. Um, and then you see the guys that limp in a minute or two before. Um, and they're wearing, um, you know, different clothes, not that that impacts, but it it does give you an impression of how serious he's taking this, and, um, you know, I I, I think we just try to ask, um, and and again, every team probably does this differently, um, but at the same time, a lot of teams probably do it the same as far as having a set few questions that you ask every person, and then you get into the nitty-gritty, and you start asking him the tough questions, and uh, we even made him get on uh, on the board. We put some film on. Uh, we asked him what was going on on this play. Um, so it's really a, a an evaluation for him and us to see how he's going to react, test, test his football IQ, test his family history, uh, his medical history, obviously, um, maybe get some explanations of how they're feeling. Some of these guys are still injured, uh, that kind of thing that we would not know otherwise. So um, it's... It, when we go back to talking about a fine tooth comb where this is part of the process and just trying to educate ourselves the best way possible.
1: How often has an interview been the final nail in the coffin, so to speak of a player that you were really interested in, but because of the interview itself, you, you said, you know what, we're going to pass on him.
0: Um, well, it's a good question. You know, I, I, I can't say that the interview is a make or break type of thing. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's a sense of feeling. It's a sense of uh, what impression did this player leave on you and how did he conduct himself? And um, I, I think it is pretty important as far as what you think of how this player reacted to some of these questions, because some of these questions aren't easy. Um, they're not, it, it's not uh, made to be that easy. We want them to be comfortable, but at the same time, uh, we want to see both sides of them. So, We ask him a little bit tougher questions and see how he can explain them and see their hobbies and, um, you know, things like that. See uh, how how he's a leader and trying to explain himself. And I think if you ask any player if he's a leader, they're going to say yes. Right. But if you ask him how and give me an example and stuff like that, you kind of try to see through that and try to really get a good feel for the player. Okay. Question. uh,
2: Have you ever encountered... A player that you wanted to draft, you were all set to go. He was on your board. He was ranked very high. And then another team just kind of had that same thought swooped in and grabbed them. And you don't have to name names or anything like that. But has there ever been a player where you've been like, oh, wanted that guy and you just couldn't get, grab him because of your draft position?
0: I think this happens to every team every year. You know, uh, each each time we have a pick, we're talking it through. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we haven't had the uh, opportunity to have a first-round pick. So, um, in the last couple of years, so it, it's hard to predict what's going to happen within eight, nine, ten picks. So we're talking it through. We're seeing who's available. Uh, we're, we're we're trying to make that educated guess of who's going to be remaining. Um, and it, I, I think, and in my opinion, it happens every year as far as a guy that we're potentially talking about taking. And then next thing you know, um, at 50 overall, this player gets taken and you're like, oh, geez, we just lost out on the guy we wanted. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think that comes with the the reality of a draft and that's what it is, right? So uh, you're not going to get all the players that you want and um, that's why there is a draft and that's why this year there was the snake mentality as far as um, the, the way the order went for the draft because there was no season last year. So, uh, I thought that was fair and uh, I I thought it was, it, it went well. And, but to answer your question, I think it happens every year to every team.
2: Now, as far as the snake draft goes, I mean, it's definitely an unusual way of doing it, but um, as you said, it, it's it, in the interest of fairness. Uh, how did that affect your strategy as far as, you know, knowing, knowing full well that, for example, you, you start at the, the 10th position, and then you've got nothing until the 27th position. Like, how do you, how do you react when you know you've got seven you got to wait seven your turn 17 times and as you said like any number of players can go like how, how do you how do you handle that
0: well i think you just have to be patient right and uh just keep checking those names off your board and keep hoping that your guy falls a little bit and uh in our case i felt like we we did a good job in hoping that uh, a few guys would slide and um it it happened and I, I think we solidified the o-line for a few years and i i think that uh I, i'm very happy with the way the draft went so um but it's tough you know like uh the like you're saying snake mentality made made uh for the the fact that we had back-to-back picks so uh as good as that is it also made for a 17 player weight so uh, it was very difficult to just be patient and see who's getting taken and, um, hope for our guys. But, you know, at the end of the day, we just have to prepare and, um, everybody again is in the same situation. So just got to do the best with what you got.
1: At any point during uh, with this year or the past couple of years with the Alowitz not having any first round draft picks, uh, cause not I've not seen it done all that often in the cFL draft, but was there at any point that the that you and the Allowitz organization thought of trading up to get a position in order to get a player, or was that completely off the board?
0: No, for sure, you know there's there's always that possibility and that want and that need, but uh, um the cliche it takes two to tango, right? So yeah. you have to convince a team to want your draft pick and want to move down and um there's obviously the next year's draft we could have used some of next year's picks to move up um so there's all types of different strategies and different ways to um move up or down in the draft to extend picks or get more picks the the other difference obviously with this year's draft there there was only six rounds instead of eight so we were getting less players um you know so uh it I, I feel that it was a little bit more of a futures picks draft mm-hmm. because of that and because the ncaa guys were going back a lot of even the canadian players have not only one but now two years of eligibility remaining so they can return to school for two years and still remain our possession so you know i i think uh it, it, it's tricky but it, it happens it happens every year i think and uh, this year, a little bit less, but I think that that's just the nature of the business and how it was a little bit of a different year, a different type of draft. So there weren't that many trades.
1: How much? Uh, how much of a hindrance, in your opinion, was it? But was it for the Alouettes not to have? Obviously, it was. Everybody remembers how and why we lost the first-round draft picks uh, for a player that's not currently on the roster anymore, or the guy that is not currently on the roster anymore, but. How much of a hindrance was it for you and the organization in order to try to draft the, per- the player or players that you wanted, knowing that you won't have these first-round draft picks for as many years as it was?
0: Well, I mean, I- I'd be lying if I didn't say we could have potentially got a, a player higher on our board, if not. But yeah. I think if you look back at the two past years without uh, a first-round pick, I I feel like the Alouettes did a very good job <laughs> in who we were able to get, um, and as far as who we wanted, we were able to secure those guys and secure those positions. So um, I, I think it went very well. Um, I, I I would again be lying to you if I said that I'm not happy that this is over, um, because I definitely am, and I'm yeah. looking forward to having a first-round pick next year. Uh, <laughs> as are so, we. You know, at the end of the day, again, you just got to do what you can
1: have you ever come across one of those times where you're looking at a player you knew where your position was and you're like oh man come on (laughs) i mean you don't want to worry about that in 2022 but i mean it's as i said it's i I can imagine i can only imagine the frustration i said you got your you got the players that you wanted that's the main thing but i'm sure it was just frustration over the past couple years as it was for fans knowing that the owls didn't have a first round draft pick right cliff
2: absolutely it's uh, it's hard because that's the whole point of the draft is to develop and harness that future talent and to not be able to have at least some say in, in directing that your, your, your team's future definitely did. It poses a challenge, I guess, but I think Eric you found a way to sort of address that and still manage to, you know, find a way to help make this team even better. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm definitely glad you think so. I think, uh, the past few years have been very good drafts for
2: us. Now, question. Uh, of the two draft classes that just happened, if you can give Alouette's fans one name, like one player that you think is going to shock everyone, like just someone that may have sort of flown under the radar, like you, you're, you don't quite exactly know who he is, is there Ooh. one player that you think would really make Alouette's fans stand up and take notice?
0: Well, um, I'm going to use this as a two-part question. I'm going to give you my absolute sleeper in the late round pick that we had last year, who could turn out to be an outstanding old lineman one day. Uh, his name is Andrew Becker. Um, he is the guy that just has so much potential. Um, he's had a little bit of injury uh, issues in the past, but um, I think that with the year off, uh, he, he really could be an outstanding old lineman one day. Um, and then when we look at a guy, you know, like uh, Marc-Antoine de you know, a guy that everybody knows, but I, I think is going to have a very good career. Uh, he's going to be put in the a, a, a right situation and uh, hopefully uh, earns a starting spot uh, very shortly. So um, I, I really feel like there's going to be some guys from these last two draft classes that are going to have an impact right away.
2: Awesome. Awesome. See, there you go, folks. That's that. Write those names down because, like, we, we've talked about it on the podcast last year and this year of who we who we think and who we expect to play. But once training camp starts this year, these are the names you've got to look forward to. Yeah. Okay, Eric. Let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's talk about you as a member of the Alouettes because you too know about the draft process, being a player yourself, being drafted by the Alouettes. Talk to us about that. Talk about about going from Eastern Michigan back to Montreal, so to speak, or back home, so to speak, uh, with the Alouettes.
0: Yeah, um, well, a little bit like this year, as far as the players returning, as far as NCAA guys getting drafted, then returning to school. Uh, when I played in 2006, uh, when I was drafted in 2006, I should say, um, I still had a year of eligibility. I got drafted uh, by Montreal and decided to go back to school. So I actually went back to school. Um, I was, you know, planning for my future, Um got my degree, got my diploma. Um, and then the, my obvious aspiration was to play in the NFL. Um, you know, I had a cup of coffee with the Pittsburgh Steelers as a, uh, preferred free agent. So that was unbelievable for me as a, as a person, as an experience, as a player. Um, I was there in 2007 and then, um, after camp, I came to the Alouettes and, uh, that's when, uh, History was made for me as far as my nine-year career. I was fortunate enough to go to three uh, great cups back-to-back-to-back to back to back and uh, obviously winning those two. Um, met a lot of great guys, uh, made a lot of good friends, and um, was very proud and still am proud to be part of the Montreal Alouette organization.
1: What is your thing that you remember the most from your career? Obviously, you caught AC's three hundred ninety fifth touchdown pass. Um, I think everybody who's watching on TV or was in the stands remembers that catch. But for you mm-hmm. in particular, what's the one thing that you you remember most from your career?
0: Um, losing the 2008 Grey Cup at home was absolutely devastating. Mm-hmm. I, I truly feel that that was our key to success. It made us hungry. Uh, we worked out harder in that offseason. We came back with the vengeance, um, and obviously, again, history was made in winning back-to-back the 2009 and 2010 Grey Cups. But that 2008 Grey Cup in Montreal, losing to Calgary, just left that sour taste in your mouth. And for me, that's what sticks as far as perseverance and keeping uh, your, your goals and your dreams alive and pushing forward to accomplish that team goal. Um, you know, I think Jim did a very good job of keeping the majority of that core nucleus of players together, um, and it allow us to uh, to grow and win. So, um, I think that that's something that really sticks out in my mind uh, over my career with the Owls.
1: And Cliff and I have asked this to many pl- former players who've been with the Owls tell us about the emotions of that of the thirteenth man game from you know a cusp of uh, you know losing the game. The flag comes up, thirteen men, a chance to win, and, and then you do win the Grey Cup. Uh, what were your emotions <laughs> at that time of the
0: game? Uh, definitely roller coaster emotions. Um, <laughs> you know, when uh, you see the other team putting on the game winning hat, mm. you kind <laughs> of start thinking to yourself, "Oh no, this is over." Um, but then the the beauty of that flag, in a way, is just gave us another chance and. <laughs> Um, you know, Damon made it work, and uh, the guys fought back and got it done, right? So I, I know that a lot of people think as that as a a great cup. Maybe the Owls shouldn't have won because of this, that, or the other. Uh, but at the end of the day, when the zeros were on the clock, the Owls were the winners. So uh, I, I take that with pride, and you know, I, it, it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions as far as how I was feeling.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, To me, that's always one of my favorite fun facts I would love to drop on people is that the Montreal Alouettes won the 2009 Grey Cup despite never leading the game at one point. Except at the very, very end when there was, as you said, zeros on the clock. That's the only time they led and won the game. To me, that's incredible. Wow. Good, good stat. Right? Right? I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's inconceivable. Like, I, I don't think any other championship has ever been decided in that fashion. It's just... It's incredible.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a great game and definitely a, a cold one at that.
2: <laughs> well, that's Calgary for you in November, in late November. Calgary definitely can be pleasant or biting cold, and I don't think there's any in between in there.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, but you know what, Cliff? I don't. I think Eric won't mind even if it is December this year if the Alouettes are in uh, Hamilton in the Grey Cup. So
0: I'll I'll gladly wear a toque and some gloves in uh, minus twenty weather to be. Uh, there on december 15th in hamilton and that's <laughs> I'll, be right, I'll be right there with you pal don't don't, <laughs> don't kid yourself <laughs> all
2: right talk to us about working with coach tressman just we've heard so many stories about how he prepares things and how he invests in his players and once you buy into his system i mean he is there with you 100 talk to us about mark tressman the coach and mark tressman the man himself
0: I think the word that comes to mind the most is just attention to detail. Uh, Mark was somebody that wanted us not only to be better football players, but to be better men. Um, So it's not like I hadn't heard this before, but at the end of the day, he wants you to treat the janitor like you treat the head coach, because that's how important people are. Uh, It's a people business. Um, And I think the attention to detail came And maybe you, you guys talk to him a little bit. If you ask him what he's eating in the morning, he's not going to say fruit loops. He's going to say, I had a green bowl. I had a purple spoon. I had three quarters of a bowl full and I had half the bowl of milk. So I think the attention to detail made us realize and really put in that extra effort, that extra time, those extra workouts, that extra study time. Um, and ultimately, um, made us bond together uh those those years and uh believe in him and believe in his philosophies and um when you have a guy like ac uh anthony cavillo at the helm and um being his um leader uh, all also on and off the field it, it just solidified uh what mark was pushing for us and um coach tressman will undoubtedly go down in the history books for myself as one of the best coaches that has coached me. And, uh, I had the chance to learn from, um, and I'm very proud to have played for him. So, um, he's a great man and a great coach, a great leader. Um, and, uh, you know, I think his record speaks for itself. All right.
2: And as far as your career goes, is there anything that you wish you could have done, but for whatever reason, didn't get a chance to do?
0: Well, I mean, uh, I'm not one to go back and regret and, you know, you, you, you make choices in life and, you know, I I truly believe that with the choices that you make is how your life is going to turn out. So uh, I, I like to think that I live with my choices. I live with what happened. um, And uh, ultimately I, I love the career that I had. I'm proud of my career. I'm proud of myself and proud of our teams that we were uh, able to put forth here. And, um, I can't say that I regret or would go back to change anything.
2: Uh, sometimes that's it. You just don't look back. It's sometimes better that way. <laughs> okay. Uh, now let's go into your, your post playing career. Uh, what led you to join the LOS as far as uh, like behind the scenes, like in a uh, more administrative position? What, what were the steps that happened that led you from trading in your cleats for uh, suit and tie, so to speak?
0: Well, I think uh, the body pretty much did it for me. You know, at 34 years old, I wasn't uh, performing all that much as as I wanted to on the field. Uh, I had, I think, a three-year contract still or two more years to my contract left. Um, but ultimately, I, I knew in my heart that I always wanted to stick with football. I always wanted to be in coaching, be in that um, management role type person and uh, for me that that situation presented itself and um, fortunate enough to still be in this role and have grown and uh, tried to learn and still learning obviously and uh, just trying to treat the game right so I'm uh, very fortunate to be still living the dream and still be um, in the in a game for my career so I'm very fortunate to uh, still be uh, in the position that I am.
2: Oh, that's, that's what it comes down to. And uh, to be able to say that you've not only been a part of the LOS as a player, but also in your post-playing career, still be essentially with the the one team, basically your whole professional life, I mean, that's that's quite the accomplishment all by itself.
0: I appreciate it. I definitely uh, hold on to that dearly and uh, am very proud of that. Yeah. All right. Now talk to us a little bit about the
2: kind of transition, if you will, from... Uh, the Wettenhall family to the CFL and now to Gary Stern and company. How has that been as far as trying to navigate those waters? Because I know it was a little, there, there was some, it was a little, a little rough at first, but uh, obviously this, the 2019 Alouettes, they, they came to play every game on the field. And behind the scenes, I know things, it was, as you said, uh, could be a little rough at times, but uh, how do you think things ended up working out as far as like, how are you able to navigate everything and, bring it to where things are at today? Uh,
0: Well, the one thing again that comes to mind here is Kahari Jones. And, you know, he really took ownership, took leadership, uh, took this team to a whole other level. Uh, The players bought into him. They played for him um, and ultimately became a winning team under him. So um, I'm not here to speak about owners and how, that transpired i I, you know that's above my pay grade and i was just fortunate to have an owner that cares for the alouettes uh like gary stern and obviously mr andrew wettenhall that uh, took very good care of the alouettes for all those years and um was a football connoisseur and i'm glad that we have now again an owner that cares for the team uh cares for us and uh wants us to be better so uh i i'm again proud of that and uh the the one key term for 2019 to me in what happened in all of this was Kahari Jones brought this team together.
2: Well, Eric, uh, I mean, listen, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for being a part of this. Uh, I guess as uh, again, there's still a lot of things that are kind of up in the air as far as 2021 goes, obviously it's looking like it's going to be a shortened schedule. Uh, there's still a lot of things up in the air, but, uh, can you sort of leave Alouette's fans and CFL fans, too, saying like something hopeful to know that oh, we just may actually get some football this year?
0: Well, we just may get some football. I'm, uh, I'm preparing for training camp right now, so I, I, <laughs> I hope that we're going to play some football because there's a lot of work that's going to go unutilized here. You know, I, I think that uh, fans and um, everybody around the league uh, has been eager to watch football, um, we, we have always wanted to be on the field. We wanted to be on the field last year, and this is not just me. This is the CFL. This is the players. This is everybody, and I think that um, that is going to come out to show in 2021 when we step foot on that field, and maybe there's going to be a little bit of rust on the shoes, but at the end of the day, once the guys get together um, and they, they bond and get to play the field, that they love again. Um, it's going to create an amazing product on the field. And at the end of the day, what are we there to do? We're, we're, we're there to perform on the field, and we're there to watch football. And uh, I'm truly excited to get back on the field and see uh, what the CFL can put forth uh, for for the fans and um, for the media and uh, for themselves.
2: I, I couldn't say it any better myself. That's something that I know Tim and I were definitely looking forward to is yeah. just getting to training camp, seeing everybody again, and just to start seeing this team take shape and come to form. And if we only get 14 games this year, so be it. If we only get 10 games this year, so be it. At the end of the day, I just want to see some football being played.
0: 100%.
2: All right. Well, Eric, uh, thank you so much again for joining us here on the Alouettes Flight Deck. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, Before we let you go, uh, can uh, fans find you on social media? Is there any way to, to reach you that way?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm not a huge social media guy, but I am on Facebook, I am on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram, so Delorier9, and I mean, uh, I'm uh, available and open and uh, try to respond, but uh, I'm not a huge social media guy as far as that's concerned. You won't see uh, 70,000 tweets I believe you had today or whatever. Uh, 75, I, I thank many, you. But, yeah, 75, I, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> I have the platforms, but uh, I don't utilize them all that much.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, Eric, thank you so much again for joining us on the flight deck. We definitely appreciate it, and uh, we're definitely looking forward to hopefully seeing you later this summer at Percival Molson Stadium, because if we do, that means we've got training camp, and that's all we really want at this point. To at least get things started and get some football
0: again. Well, I definitely can't wait to be uh, in that stadium. Um Cheering on the guys on the field, and uh, wish you guys all the best. Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: once again, thanks for uh, Eric for joining us and, and giving us his, his insight on the draft. Uh, I um, it's very interesting to see how the team basically finds the players and then how they decide to draft the players. But it's uh, he gave quite a quite a bit of insight not only on the draft itself but on his career.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean we've we've known Eric for a long time. I mean uh, former Alouette, former Grey Cup champion still being a part of this organization. I mean, like this is the only CFL team he's ever known, like in his pre post and uh, pre and post uh, playing career. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that he's still here and still contributing at a, at a big level. I mean, that to me, that that's huge. And that's the kind of thing that's going to help ensure that this team stays successful, both on and off the field. So it was awesome to have Eric come on, share his perspective on things, uh, you know, kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and let us look into the the whole process of not just the draft, but uh, just kind of, you know, a little peek behind the scenes for the Alouettes as well. So we definitely appreciate him coming on, appreciate him joining us this evening and, as always, anytime you want to come back on the flight deck and chat with us, Eric, the invitation's there. It's there, it's there, it's there for the asking. Exactly.
1: Um, any of the, because I know, uh, you know, any of the, anything that he said specifically that stood out to you that that you're going to remember? Because uh, for me, it was just hearing the, hearing just the, the actual process of how player goes from being wanted to being signed and whether whatever list he's going to go to, I think I said for me as a, as a CFL fan who, who and, and people and I've said this, I'm, I'm honest about this. I'm not much into the draft, but he was able to explain it in such a way where it, it made it a little bit more interesting for me on how player X was able to get to the Alouettes and become a member of Alouettes nation.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think what I came away with more is just addressing the needs of the team and just how how does one do that, especially too with the current situation that we're in right now. It's made for, it's, it's been, it's been a challenge. Let's, let's not sugarcoat it. It's been very challenging to properly evaluate players and how do you, how do you address needs when you don't know 100% what your needs are? And I think that was a a big thing with the draft. I'm pretty sure all nine teams felt the same way is how do we go about this? How do we go about selecting players that again can affect our future over the next couple of years when all we've seen of them is two-year-old film the only time we had a chance to talk with them is over zoom i mean like you don't you don't quite get the experience that you're used to nowadays just with the circumstances being what they are and the way that eric explained you know the process as far as you know going from taking a look at a player to actually calling his name at the draft like to me that's it's a fascinating look at how it's done and I think a lot of fans don't necessarily appreciate that they just see a player being drafted and oh, okay who the hell is this guy kind of thing and yeah. to for that the alouettes know who they're drafting they've gone they've done the work they've done the research they've done everything we as fans don't always see all of that so to be able to get a little insight into how that process goes i mean to me that's that's what I take away from it more than anything else it's just understanding why the Alouettes drafted, player X at this position when they had the opportunity to do so mm-hmm. to me that's what makes it fascinating that's why I've always liked the draft too is just trying to see if you're in tune with what the Elowitz you know like what you think their needs are versus finding out exactly what they think their needs are to me that's kind of the interesting part of it It's kind of a bit of a chess match if you will so yeah for Eric to come on and explain a little bit of that process to us it was definitely insightful definitely interesting and like i said we're definitely appreciative to have the opportunity to do so
1: yeah for sure i mean and you know if there are you know if there are any other players or personalities that you'd like to have us uh, to have on the show um you can reach out to us uh at podcast at gmail.com you can reach out to cliff or myself on on facebook or twitter twitter for cliff is at cliff i'm at repacked um or you can just DM us over on on Facebook. Um, But we, you know, we have a couple of ideas of what we want to have for the future. And, uh, um, you know, we've always said football or no football, but we would rather have these guys on talking about football than no football, so.
2: (laughs) Well, and hopefully, as I said before, like I'm hoping that with the draft now a distant memory, well, not that distant, but (laughs) now it's in the past. Now, Now we know exactly who will be eventually joining the Alouettes. We've got that out of the way. To me, like that was that's step one. Step two is training camp. Is training camp gonna happen? Mm-hmm. When's training camp gonna happen? Where's training camp gonna happen? Like right. these are the questions that need to be answered hopefully as soon as possible. Because we, we gotta get we gotta figure out what's going on as far as training camp goes. Because to me, that's when things that's when it becomes real. That's when it becomes okay, the veterans are back, all the players that we know. That have been a part of this team are back. Now we've got all these new, fresh face players that are ready to show that they belong on this team as well. That's where the the real that's where the story is, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. That's where we find out who belongs on this team and who is maybe not quite ready to be a Montreal Alouette just yet. To me, that's that's what that's what I'm looking forward to more than anything else. And like I said, if the league is really hoping to get that 14 game schedule underway, great. I'm all for it but let's let's get this figured out hopefully we'll get some answers soon because well we're, we're in the middle of may and you, you gotta you gotta get this figured out i mean that's that's really what it comes down to now is okay it's, it's good thing to talk about it it's all well and good to say okay we're, we're planning to do this we're planning to do that great let's 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 get it in action let's let's get this figured out and let's get training camp going that's I think that's where we're at right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Well,
1: it's next. I mean, the the NFL just had had their whole whole spiel, and you know, on, on NFL network, and, and releasing their their 2021 uh, schedule. You know, let's let's uh, let's let's us it's our you know let's let's get version two of the of the 2021 CFL schedule. Let, let's get that out and let's let's check that box off for the next step that hopefully will lead us up to uh, training camp sometime in uh, wow late. June possibly late well, June or early July so
2: yeah pro- yeah definitely well July for sure Because yeah. I mean if, they, if, they, if the league was supposed to is hoping to get things kicked off for August 5th so I mean that figure at least three weeks because mm-hmm. I, I again there's still no there's no idea if they're, if they're gonna even do like preseason games or anything like that if they're just gonna have a straight training camp and then boom go right into the games I that's still up in the air so we we we're trying to figure things out just as much as you are folks and it's it's not easy so hopefully someone from the CFL <laughs> Randy Brusie or you know any anyone else can step up and say hey this is what we have in mind this is what we're looking to do but it's going to take this step this step this step in order to do so that's fine just let us know yeah. keep us in the loop that's i think that's pretty much I speak for all CFL fans when they say just keep us informed keep us abreast of as to what's going on and just be transparent and honest about it as much as possible. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, I don't, I really don't think that's too much to ask as far as I'm concerned.
1: No, no, I agree with you. Um, if you, uh, if you happen to miss any of the previous episodes of the alouettes flight deck and you want to go back into our archive um if you head over to alouettesflightdeck.ca all the episodes are there but uh if you don't want to go there you can always go to any of the other podcast aggregates that do collect the podcast uh links and stuff like that i mean for instance you can go over to podbean apple podcast google podcast stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, radio and tune in um I am actually thinking of delving into the idea of putting the audio version also on YouTube. So if that that does come to fruition, stay tuned and uh, get ready for the link and uh, you'll be able to uh, watch listen us. Does that make sense?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and this may end up leading us to go actually doing the whole video thing, even though I've always said I've got a face for podcast. But uh, for for us to actually go and do maybe even a, a live stream of the podcast mm-hmm. on YouTube would be a fun experiment, I think. So, I mean, but again, this it, it all comes back to we got to have football to to discuss. I mean, we. To me that's that's what it boils down to is we can speculate all we want. We can do previews and everything like that all we want, but at the end of the day we need some honest to goodness football to happen. And for us to be able to do a show like that, especially on YouTube, to me, like that that's that's key is to have actual football to talk about. So that's true. please, and, and, CFL, and, yeah. if if you don't mind, let us know what's happening.
1: Yeah, and also, hey, uh if you can help us, I mean we we also all all this with all this new technology that's coming out, um, You know, if if you can get, I think it's if you can get us to 600 followers on Twitter, we're able to activate. We'll we'll have access to their Spaces platform, where we will be able to actually talk about the CFL, talk about the Alouettes, and bring in different people who want to talk with us. Something could be an offshoot of the Flight Deck, Uh, but we just need to. I think we need to get ourselves to 600 followers. On Twitter, on our Twitter account over at Allo, FL Deck. but uh, uh, if you guys can t- ask a person and uh, to join, and then so on and so on and so on, and we can we can maybe get up there and, uh, and be able to activate that portion of Twitter, and uh, maybe uh, do something a little bit different when it comes to uh, comes to the flight deck. We're almost there. We need 50, 50 followers. There you go, folks. Okay, That's, uh... okay. You know what? I'm going to do this. If you can get us to 600 followers on Twitter, we will do a giveaway. Oh, there we you will, go. We will do a giveaway. We have a couple of things that we have that are available, including uh, Alouette's merch and also our our uh, uh, Flight Deck merch. But if you can get us to 600 followers on Twitter, we will do a giveaway.
2: All right. You've got your homework assignment, folks. So uh, I said tell a friend tell a bunch of friends and have those friends tell some friends yes. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Let's get to 600, folks. Let's get us at the six.
1: Um, before we finish the show, Cliff, anything else you want to bring up?
2: Uh, well, like I said, uh, we've got a few a few ideas in the pipeline that we're hopefully going to get uh, come to fruition. Like I said, I'll I really do feel, though, like a lot of... And I'm sure we're not the only podcast that's feeling it right now. It's just... It's all well and good to talk football. It's all well and good to talk about the draft and all these other things. But, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we're getting somewhere as far as getting back onto the field. Because, I mean, as as much as I love doing this podcast and being able to talk football with everybody... I mean, it's one thing to talk about it, but we got to see some football, too. I, I mean... Gosh, there, there's so much happening. There's, there's so many things that are going on right now with uh, with the CFL. I just want to see some honest, goodness football. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And to me, it's like I I, I hear the news about these uh, provinces are not willing to sign off on the return to play and everything like that. And it's I'm just hoping it's a minor blip, like just a little bump in the road, if you will. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, we can get past these minor inconveniences. And get back to everything that we we stand for here at the Alouettes Flight Deck. And God willing, we get to that announcement. Hey, we're going to have this many games. We're still going to have our 14 games like we promised you initially. Everybody's going to be good to go. Fans will, will be in the stands and we're going to play. Hey, to I mean, me, as we that's heard, what I'm hoping if, for.
1: Uh, Eric Delore is up to you know being in a tuke and a jacket, just like as you said you were uh, in, in uh, mid December in, in Hamilton, if we can get to that great cup. So.
2: I'm ready. I'm 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 down for that. Uh, I you know, I, nothing would make me happier knowing that cuz again, if if that does come to fruition, if we do actually are at that point, that means we we got to see the football. We exactly. got to see some football played and we get to see a great cup champion being crowned. God willing it'll be the Alouettes. That's right. And you want Lord me all...
1: You want me to football? Yes. Just don't eat me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Cliff. Well, as I said, if anybody has any any uh Comments, suggestions—just uh, you know—send s- us a DM or, or get in contact with us. Uh, but we will be back uh, as soon as possible to talk about a little bit more about Alowitz football. So, for everybody here at the flight Dick for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. Run final approach. Tingo!